Hey everyone, I need your attention for one minute. This is not one of those ads. This is something that has changed my entire life. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is all about personal development as the foundation for everything good in your life. And this podcast is now sponsored by Growth Day, which is the world's first all-in-one personal development app. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine having everything all in one place that you need to create the life that you want? Now you can. So if you've been struggling with your motivation, your mood, your productivity, or your purpose, you have to check this out. Growth Day helps you consciously change your life and achieve your potential. It has all the self-improvement tools, motivational classes, and life coaching all in one place. So many of us want to improve our lives, but the question is how? Where do we start? What do we use? How do you get unstuck? How do you make self-improvement stick? Well, research shows how. It's when you consistently journal, track your habits, set goals, learn from empowering mentors, and challenge yourself that you'll be happier, healthier, and more successful. But let me ask you something. Where do you actually do all of your personal development work? I have to tell you that over 300,000 people use Growth Day for a reason. It works. It's the world's number one software for self-improvement. Growth Day has an amazing mindset journal that I absolutely love, a habit tracker, and a goal-setting system. In fact, I bet if you went to my stories this week, you probably saw me using the journaling app and telling you to do it too, because it's the first time that journaling has ever actually stuck consistently in my life because of this app. And best of all, Growth Day has live inspirational classes every single week from the world's top motivational speakers and life coaches. These are people who have impacted my life in huge ways. These are mentors who I already knew and loved. In fact, this is something that's so huge for me, you guys. I personally teach a class in Growth Day every single month, and it is one of the most fun things that I get to do, and I'd love to see you there. These classes will truly shift your life. There's always something new that you will learn. So join me in 300,000 Achievers Growing Our Lives with actual real intention. Visit growthday.com slash Lori for a free trial. Yes, you can try this for free. So go to growthday.com slash Lori and go live your best life. You guys, that's growthday.com forward slash Lori. And I can't wait to see you there. Thanks so much to Gusto for supporting my podcast. Running a small business is hard. Fortunately, Gusto makes payroll easy and Gusto offers flexible benefits, simple onboarding, and so much more. Get three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash Lori. And another huge thank you to ButcherBox for supporting my show. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high quality meat right to your home. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members a 10 to 16 pound turkey for free in their first box. Just go to butcherbox.com forward slash Lori to sign up. There's all these sort of fine lines between where the light and the dark sides of this and how murky and indistinct those borderlands can be between them. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of Light Pink, best-selling author, three-time fitness world champion, and I'm a crazy multi-passionate entrepreneur. My journey has taken me everywhere from being a broke waitress, barista, retails associate, and personal trainer with massive anxiety and no belief in myself to later becoming a multimillionaire in love with my life. In 2007, my husband and I lost everything. We found ourselves hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt at rock bottom. We had no ideas and I had no education to fall back on. This is when I found personal development and learned everything I could about business, not by choice, but because I realized no one was coming to save me. The conversations on this podcast are going to let you know that you're not alone and that we all feel like we don't know what we're doing. We're going to give you the tools to help you face your fears, take action, start your business and grow those massive dreams that are keeping you up at night. 
time to create a life that you can't hide from and put so much on the line that your higher self is forced to come out. You're going to stop waiting for someone to approve of you and you're going to anoint yourself. Because I'm obsessed about building businesses that give women a platform, I want to feature you. So if you text the word podcast to 310-496-8363, you can get your questions answered on our Q&A segment along with a shout out. And if you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, we're choosing someone every month to get coached and featured on our show. It just might be you. So let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we talk all about leadership from one of the co-authors of The Rare Breed. And her name is Sunny Bunnell. Her co-author is Ashley Hansberger. And this book is all about those who dare to be different in a sea of sameness. It offers a guide to navigating your own notorious personality traits that can lead to incredible breakthroughs and triumphs in business and life. So they are not only the authors of A Rare Breed, but it is also the popular YouTube series and founders of the game-changing leadership and brand consultancy motto. They were named... 30 Under 30, Inc. Magazine, GDUSA, Top 25 People to Watch, and interviewed by entrepreneur Yahoo, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, The Breakfast Club, and hundreds more. They have earned their way to the front of the workplace revolution and have devoted their work to inspiring people to think with the rare breed mindset and demand more of themselves, their career, and their companies. So there were so many things in this interview that I absolutely loved. Maybe some things that you have in your personality that maybe you viewed as a weakness or maybe former bosses, former jobs have told you as a weakness that could actually be a massive strength. This is all about not only embracing that in yourself, but also in other people and exactly how those traits show up. So let's get started. Sunny, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Oh man, I didn't even know where to start with you being on here. Like I have so (laughs) many things that I want to chat with you about because you have written the most exciting book, I think, for entrepreneurs right now that I cannot wait to dive into that we're going to talk to everybody about. And you also have um, an incredible branding company. Like for a creative, you kind of have that job that is just like, all areas of my brain are lighting up right now. Mm-hmm. So first of all, because we're going to we're gonna really dive into the book because you've got such cool, like j- the concept is so cool. Just the, the seven so-called vices that are, um, you know, can really be turned into strengths and superpowers, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love learning about. But first, let's talk a little bit about just what even brought about this book, like what what you do in the branding world, all of those things. Yeah. So, so first, thank you for that intro. I really appreciate that. I'm really excited to, to, to jump into the book here. So my co-founder and partner, Ashley and I met in a snowball fight in Chicago in our early teens, and we grew up together. We went to college together. Uh, and in our early twenties, we dropped out to start Motto, which is our branding agency with $250. And we had no prior uh, agency or business experience. Pretty much everyone said that we would fail and that was more than a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have since sor- sort of led uh, Motto to become one of the top branding and leadership companies in the country. We've really earned a reputation for pushing boundaries, breaking rules, activating positive change within companies. And we're most known for an unconventional approach to building one-of-a-kind brands and really working with leaders to solve those tough problems using brand as our lens. So we're kind of an anti-branding branding company, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And so you know, we're now about 15 years in. And back in, I would say maybe 2007, we had hit a point in our business where we were a few years in. We were incredibly broke. We were struggling to make ends meet. You know, again, we're in a small town, no, no prior business experience, very young, young females. 
And we're in an industry that is primarily male dominated. And we're trying to sort of figure out how do we, how do we cut through? How do we get attention? And, you know, we were told we were too white, too female, too broke, too inexperienced to really succeed. And, you know, after a while, when you're trying to start a business like that and get it off the ground, you begin to, I think for most people, I can say that you begin to, you can begin to doubt yourself. And we had hit a point where we were ready to give up. You know, we were like, we don't, we don't think we are cut out for this entrepreneurial game and we should have just stayed in college and, you know, follow the traditional path. You know, I was in vet school. She was going to be a a journalist and writer and English major. And we were sort of had our, had our past sort of mapped out. And then we end up dropping out of college to chase this wild, ambitious Mm -hmm. dream. So 2007, we're kind of at a low point and we have a conversation with my dad and he says, well, you two are a rare breed. He's like, not everybody's going to get you. And he said, not everybody's going to love you. And you have to accept that. And you have to succeed because of who you are, not despite who you are. Oh man. And it was, it was really a pivotal moment for us because he was like, the things that you're getting fired for, the things that, (laughs) the the things that people want you for are the things you're going to get fired for. Mm. He's like, you're going to get hired for the same reasons that you're fired. He (laughs) said, you're also going to rub people the wrong way. And he said, but those, you have to realize that your rebellious spirits, your audacious vision, this kind of obsessive tendencies that you both have, you know, this emotional quality that you're on a different frequency. He was like, you're a threat and you don't even realize it. And you're trying to make those traits of yourself invisible. Mm. And what's really interesting about that is we filed that away, ended up kind of changing the entire framework of our business. And we're like, we're going to double down on this and actually start working with, with companies to identify what that special something is within their their teams and their organization and literally built our entire career around that and then wrote the book Rare Breed in 2018 after we had kind of decided that look we've now studied and been in some of the biggest brands on earth we've worked with some of the most obstinate temperamental visionaries you could possibly imagine and what do we call those people mm. we call them the rare breed and so we pulled that name back from the one that my dad gave us and we ended up uh, turning it into a book. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I want to dive into the book and just, so you broke it out into identifying kind of the, these seven vices. So tell me about how that all, how you all created that. How did you figure out what those seven were? And then I want to learn all about them. Yeah. So we started with this curious question, which is what if you could take the parts of yourself that other people criticize and turn those same counterintuitive traits into your superpowers? These these traits are essentially vices. They are traditionally seen as counterintuitive to your success. They are often told, we are often told from a young age, we're conditioned to believe that these seven traits specifically will be our undoing (laughs) and that we should make those traits invisible. And we wanted to flip the script on why they were actually virtues. And we used our own career of sort of tearing up the rule book and striking out on our own path. And then ultimately working with companies who shared that same philosophy into an actual framework that became the the sort of seven virtues in the book. So these seven virtues, the rare breed virtues are rebellious, audacious, obsessed, uh, hot-blooded, weird, hypnotic, and emotional. Each one of these seven traits have not only a positive side, but they have a very dark side. And that's why we call them a vice and a virtue, because a lot of times when we are not self-aware, we usually have one of these dominant traits at work within us. We don't often realize it. We just know that we're getting fired from every job that we've had. We're, you know, people don't get along with us. We're called difficult. Um, Some people are like, oh, she's so emotional. And we're saying it in these negative ways because we believe that there's, we're too much of one of these um, seven things. And so by kind of unlocking these seven traits that society is teaching us to silence within ourselves, we began discovering that those same attributes are also the driving factors to not only radical differentiation, but to break through success. 
And not only have we been on a mission to help others sort of not only recognize those seven traits within ourselves, but by recognizing them in others, we are teaching others to own all of who you are, not just the pretty parts. And we're also being able to change societally the conversation that we're having around just othering people and saying, oh, you're the misfit. There's something about you that's flawed. This is taught in thousands of leadership books. There's something about you that's flawed. You need to change who you are to succeed. And we wanted to say, why do you have to change? You know, why can't you sort of refine and hone in on one of these dominant traits and actually make them the thing that allows you to kick down every door in front of you? So tell me first, before we dive into each one, because I do want to get into each one, what, what were some of the main ones that you identified with and how did you kind of hone those in for yourself? Well, we had a, so we developed early on, right after we launched the book, we had worked with a professor and psychologist because we said, wouldn't it be interesting if we could actually help people sort of identify what mm. that dominant trait is. And so we developed a, a quiz. You take it and it's 28 questions and it tells you which of the dominant traits is at work in you. Mm. And we go into great detail about like famous, you know, rare breeds throughout history that have had that trait. Um, we talk about, you know, what to look for, what, what often comes with those traits. And then ultimately, you know, where, where can it be destructive and what should you look out for if you are one of these, um, one of these sevens. And it's, it's been a really powerful thing. We've had over like 30 or 40,000 people take it so far with very little marketing. And now we are, uh, teams and organizations are now taking the quiz as well to better understand how these uh, rare breeds within their organization can be better leveraged and better utilized and more seen and heard at the table. And it's just a really powerful thing to, to, to sort of see it evolve the way that it has. Mm. And which one, which ones do you identify with the most? Which ones are you like, oh. that is me? Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when, early on in the iteration of the quiz, we actually had a primary and secondary trait. So a, a lot of people were getting, they were like, well, I'm kind of like all seven. Yeah. And what we learned was, is that that's true. That is true. A lot of people are like, well, I'm all these things. But in reality, there's usually one sort of dominant trait at work. And there's usually a secondary that also might be very equal or just shy behind what that sort of dominant trait is inconsistent throughout your life. And for me, I have consistently gotten audacious, but my secondary trait was obsession. And if any anybody's listening that's ever worked with me, um, you probably know that to be very true. And just the way that I work in motto as well as kind of the chief visionary, but also I am incredibly detail oriented. I don't miss anything when it comes to making things right and wanting it to be above and beyond the the standard and the norm and mediocrity is not in my vocabulary. Mm. So for you, before we dive in, what has been, you know, what have you found has been um, kind of like either what people have called you or what you feel has been against you for maybe being audacious and obsessed. Like what have you felt in the past before you learned to harness these and that these could be a truly good thing? What's kind of like been reflected to you about those things to you? Well, I think that what's really interesting about these types of traits and, and why they're so, so compelling is that you know, leaders are supposed to possess these kind of conventional leadership traits. Like even in my company, you know, I'm, I'm expected to be steady and decisive and consistent and calculated and diplomatic and logical. And, you know, all those qualities are extremely important in leaders, but I think it's taken me a, a while to grasp that like as a rare breed that we, we think, act and communicate with an entirely different mindset and growing up, I was lucky enough to have and be surrounded by a few people who encouraged that within me. They weren't trying to break it out of me or silence it out of me. Although I think for a lot of people, that's not the case. I think there's a lot of people walking around right now who have been conditioned to be ashamed of these traits and to be made uh, to feel that those traits are, are not you know, going to make them not have the career that they want or the life that they want. And I think at different points in our life, we're silenced or awakened. And what I have seen in this work specifically is that sometimes we stay silent forever and we never really hear our own voice because we're living the hopes and dreams of other people. And I don't think it's because we intend to do that, but you know, there's studies on animals and, and conditioning of animals that would have been clawing for their life, you know, have conditioned to put their head in cages mm -hmm. and, and submit to, to, to ridiculous 
amounts of testing and, you know, that, that would, that would is completely out of the wild and, and out of their nature. And so if you apply that same thinking to the way that we all are conditioned, I think what you see over time is we begin to lose a little bit of who we are in that process. And I think for me, I, I certainly had moments where, and I still have moments, like even in a company being a female owned agency that we're like 0.1% of all companies even owned by women in the branding space. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly been doubted still, you know, I can think of a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago where somebody told me, uh, you know, we were, um, working with somebody who we were interviewing to, to potentially be, uh, to, to produce a podcast that we were working on. And, you know, he emailed me and said that we needed a mail to validate our show. And I just thought that was, I just couldn't believe that that was the thinking, you know, that we're in the, in 2021. And that's still the, that we're telling people that you need a male or a female to validate, uh, your credibility. Mm. And I just think that, um, you know, it, it's still happening and it's, it's still a battle. I think being a rare breed for anyone is not the path of least resistance. You're going to take the black eyes. You're going to, you're going to feel doubt. People are going to try to you know, suppress you. And I think what you have to remind yourself is that you have to be the rose that grew from the concrete. Mm. You have to remember that those parts of yourself are important and those parts of yourself need to be seen, but they need to be obviously harnessed in the right way. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm still a work of in progress. I've, I've not perfected this by any means, but I certainly have learned to be more self-aware around what, what those controls are and when that part of my personality is veering into that dark territory. I'm, I'm be able to now, now that we've written a book on it, certainly studied, you know, thousands of leaders had many, many conversations, received thousands of letters of people who have exhibited one of these traits and have, you know, either sort of still struggling with it or have now sort of leveraged it. Uh, there's, you know, it's something that you have to constantly work on. So good. So I want to know about how we can kind of turn some of these into our superpowers or, you know, spot them. So can you define rebellious for me a little bit and let me know or, or tell us how that can be kind of turned into something, how you've seen it be something powerful in somebody's life? Well, I think that there's a lot of different degrees of rebelliousness. So one thing that we have learned and, you know, I'll, I'll use a very famous story, but, you know, one of the most famous rebels of all time is Rosa Parks. You know, she didn't, she didn't bang on the seats and, you know, yell and, con, you know, confetti didn't fall right when she didn't choose to move, but that was a act of silent rebellion. And there were a lot of little, probably rebellious moves, both large and small that led up to a decision like that for her not to, for to, her to choose not to, uh, move that day, but that changed the course of history. And so what we have seen specifically in rebels is that they have a tendency to uh, loathe the mindset that it, we've always done it this way. Uh, they love to sort of throw brass knuckles at convention. They have, they have tells just like they would in poker. You know, they have a, a knack for making people uncomfortable. They push against those boundaries. They say what others won't. Uh, they're willing to you know, if, if the workplace social contract says something like everybody blend in and don't stand out, like rare breeds are going to violate that contract because they can't help themselves. You know, they've been on the payroll two weeks and they're already <laughs> telling you what to do. Right. So that's kind of the interesting thing about them. And what, what do we do typically in organizations is we push those people out or they end up leaving to start something on their own yes. or they try to seek out another home. Mm. And so what is really challenging for organizations right now is that they know they need the rare breed. They desire the rare breed. They know that rare breeds are the key to innovation. And yet they're not equipped to know how to maximize their potential and really leverage that potential for all of these amazing ways. And so a lot of our work now has become around education about going into companies and helping them sort of not only sort of identify those rare breeds on the team, but also begin to put ideas in place where they can actually help celebrate those dangerous and defiant and different ideas that so often have so many bullet holes by the time they get to the top, they're never really, they'll never see the light of day. And that's what we want to change. Oh my gosh. So that, that makes me wonder, is there a way to, uh, cause whenever I hear that, especially someone who's rebellious like that, and it's hard to keep people on, on board for that is 
do you think they ever stay somewhere because they do want to start things on their own? Or are there people who love to still work at companies and have this? Or do you think it, it, it like actually pains them to be working for someone else? Does that make sense? It does. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think rare breeds power innovation because they're motivated by different things than a typical employee. So that's that's part one of that. They care less about fitting in, being liked, climbing the ladder, avoiding criticism than they do about being who they are and loving who they are and being true to themselves. So they want to be appreciated and to belong because we're human. But if being part of the tribe really means pretending to be something that we're not, they're going to ditch the tribe. Yep. And that's what's really challenging is that rare breeds are our greatest assets because they approach those design questions, those technical problems, the financial conundrums from from a direction that no one else in the organization is even going to think to consider. They're really a secret weapon. And yet, as I said, most organizations are not equipped to help them thrive. We don't create the conditions to allow them to thrive. So, I do think that they eventually get frustrated and they perhaps go and start their own thing. And then you're like, wow, you know, um, we knew that person was different, but had no idea that they were going to put people on Mars. Um, so you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's those audacious thinkers that we're the most afraid of and yet we're compelled by them. And they're often, you know, made up of quirks and odds angles and sort of a bit obtuse, you know, they're, they're not, they're not generally what I would call, you know, AKA normal if, if there is such a thing, but you can, you know, sometimes they are like very obvious and then other times they are not obvious at all. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they're the quietest one in the room and yet they're the most dangerous one in the room. Mm. Find them and go work for them. Just kidding. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So uh, I want to know about yours, Audacious. Like, tell me, tell me about this one. Tell me about um, the, the shadow side. Tell me about how you've harnessed it. So audacity is the the ability to realize visions that other people identify as outlandish. A lot of times you'll hear with audacious people, it can't be done. You know, they kind of do the impossible. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like me, I see, I see possibility where others see boundaries. And I have a tendency to always reach beyond my grasp. So it's hard to tell me that it can't be done. It's hard to tell me, it's hard to convince me that I should not be reaching far, far beyond the grasp and, and that my ambitions and ideas can't be fully realized. You know, you kind of look around, and you're like, why does that seem impossible? You know, and everyone else is just trying to bring you back down to earth. When it starts to get into the dark side is when uh, the, the kind of the dark side of audacity would be something like being hubris. So being hubris is when you've sort of drank your own Kool-Aid. A great example of that is Adam Newman's from WeWork. You know, here was somebody who was audacious, a powerful visionary, changed the face of remote working and, and um, you know, co-working. And here was somebody who eventually unraveled because of being hubris. So that is where you start to see a lot of that dark side. And, you know, it's, it's that adage of Icarus flying too close to the sun. Mm. Those stories are real. And I think people that uh, are audacious who try to move the world forward in incredibly game-changing ways have the ability to not only persuade. So I think they have a lot of hypnotism there. So we, one of the, one of the traits is hypnotic. And these are people with disconcerting levels of charisma, you know, who find it very easy to sway and spellbind others and up to the, sometimes beyond the point of manipulation where you will almost be cult-like in your ability to follow them because, you know, they're, they're sort of showing you a world that does not yet exist and you will happily follow them wherever they may lead you, uh, no matter what it costs you. And that's what's really interesting about audacious people. They often have a very hypnotic and charming side and they can veer off into those uh, dark traits, if you will, the, the shadow side, as you called it, but uh, very much at work. And, and, and some of the greatest visionaries of all time have also been some of the most evil. So mm-hmm. that's what you got to kind of look out for. How have you... so? Because these are traits that are obviously, I you know, as as you're explaining them too, I think they're so powerful and needed in order to go somewhere new. Because you almost have to be uh, okay. So I'm just gonna go like 
we're just going to like go off here and say, okay, so you almost have to like be a bit like that and naive to get something that doesn't yet exist. You almost have to drink your own Kool-Aid and so that you are so convinced by it in order to like lead this charge and get other people to activate on this mission with you. So how do you, how do you balance that? Like, how do you know when you've gone too far? What do you do to ground yourself? Well, I think for me personally, I think a lot of it, and so I just want to back up and kind of, uh, you know, comment on what you said, which is, I, I do think audacious vision is so needed and is part of some of the greatest visionaries of all time. Yet, I think that some of them have also been abusive and sometimes, you know, as I said, manipulative and obstinate and all of the sort of things that you you know, they've been able to change the world, but it, as I said, at great cost to mm-hmm. perhaps those around them. So I think what's really challenging about, and what we talk about greatly in the book, and I think what we're sort of advocating for is that you can be a force for good. Mm-hmm. And we have seen a lot of visionary entrepreneurs and worked with visionary leaders and certainly have uh, tapped into that and seen it at work where there's servant leadership there is leadership that is wholesome, you know, that is truly authentic and genuine. And you're sort of not leading anybody into, you know, (laughs) into a, into a dark place. You know, I think that is, there's a fine line between being a leader who embodies one of these traits and is using that as a force for good versus somebody who is letting it unravel. And it's leading to things like, you know, destructive tendencies. A great example of this is like, you know, and I'll I'll kind of run through the seven traits, but like, you know, audacious can make you this sort of prophetic visionary unless it spirals into sort of reckless hubris. You know, being obsessed can help you create these detailed masterpiece uh, pieces, or it can doom you to failure by impossible ideals of perfection and inflexibility. Being hot-blooded, for example, it's far beyond passion. It brings those fiery ideas to the table, but it can also lead to burnout and very destructive tendencies. And then of course, being weird, you can be an obtuse oddball, you know, for the sake of it, or you can actually really have strange and weird, bizarre ideas and be kind of the Tim Burton of the world that, you know, got fired for, for developing Frankenweenie at, at, uh, at Disney, <laughs> you know, the, the king of weird got pushed out of Disney because they were like, this guy's super odd. Uh, but look what he was able to create a, a world done like we've, we've never seen, you know, and, and, and iconic movies and films that are truly, truly one of a kind and emotion, you know, emotional rare breeds, I think can be used for purpose and, and, and maximum impact. You know, obviously emotional rare breeds feel life and the, the situations around them on a, on a very different frequency. Uh, but they can also be incredibly sensitive to the point where, you know, they're, they're, they're reading into situations that aren't maybe there. And so there's all these sort of fine lines between where the light and the dark sides of this and how murky and indistinct those borderlands can be between them. Okay, I know you're totally into this podcast episode, but I want to tell you guys about the HR platform, Gusto. I'm getting closer and closer to launching Light Pink, which is so freaking exciting, but it also means that my to-do list is growing more and more every single week. And by the end of the week, honestly, I am super exhausted. And the last thing that I want to do is work on HR needs for my business, but it's crucial and I know it has to get done. So It makes it so much easier using Gusto. It's a one-stop shop, an online solution to manage payroll, benefits, and HR. I've teamed up with Gusto and they're offering you three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash Lori. As a business owner, I love that payroll is quick, taking less than 10 minutes for light pink. I can also store and organize all documentation like W-2s and 1099s and Gusto automatically files and pays state, local, and federal payroll taxes. Gusto is really great for your team and makes the onboarding process for new employees so simple and streamlined. And they can get access uh, to their offer letter, a customized to-do checklist, and all the documents that you need to sign. They can also track their working hours and request time off. I love that everything employee-related is all in one place because organization is key to running a business, especially if you think that you're going to scale. To get acquainted with Gusto, we're giving you three 
months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash Lori. Go ahead and give it a try. Gusto.com slash Lori. Now let's get back to the episode. So I want to know a little bit more about each one, just a tiny touch, because I'm so curious, because I feel like I either know people, feel these traits, um, and would also love to know how I can, you know, harness them for myself and within my company. So I'm going to read the book, obviously, as well. But tell me a bit about obsessed, weird, hypnotic, and emotional as far as just the ways that you think they're really powerful um, that you've seen just even in your life and in your company and then where you kind of, if you see it going too far, you feel it going too far, like the awareness of something that you can do in order to kind of like get back into the good side. Sure. So, you know, we'll start with rebellious. I mean, the, the kind of descriptors of that are defiant, you know, you're disruptive, you're ungovernable, you're rogue, you're insubordinate. Um, you know, it's, it's really a virtue when that rebellious spirit is, harness to push those boundaries and confront great wrongs and to give a voice to the voiceless or really birth something unprecedented. You know, it's, it's also a vice when it's expressed with malice or bitterness or for no other reason than just to kick up trouble, um, to create unnecessary chaos or even get revenge. So, you know, I, I, I see a lot of rebels, um, and certainly have been uh, and worked with many who are sort of like change agents. And yet they've never really harnessed um, the, the good sides of that trait. You know, they've only caused trouble and not with any cause. And I think that's what we're really fighting for when you actually see a rebel at work and you're able to kind of tap into that and they're able to um, break through and, and get some of those rebellious ideas heard and seen. And perhaps even, you know, we call them kind of rare breed moves when you're able to actually like tap into that and build it, you know, you can do some really extraordinary things. So um, I think that, you know, that's one of the, you know, nobody ever really sees the rebel coming. Right. And I think a lot of established players in the industry, you know, they're, they, I think that where rebels are really beneficial is that most of these larger sort of entities are a bit sluggish and content and rebels are defiant and swift and hungry and they're, they're daring and they're defiant and they kind of blindside the competition. And that's what I love about them the most. And where I see in organizations where they truly, truly thrive. I mean, we've been doing a lot of work recently with a, with a huge global brand and what the person that actually brought us in was a rebel who had picked up the book in an airport in New York. He had touched down in LA. And by the time he had read the book, he was like, had us on the phone and he was like, can you bring this thinking to Mm. our entire organization? And we were like, oh, this is really interesting because there was no workshop. There was no, <laughs> like, there was nothing. We're going to quick <laughs> get was, back to you tomorrow there, when we have our workshop. We're going to get back to you after yeah. Christmas. Um, <laughs> so literally like, slay, you know, just like literally like, you know, slogged away at, 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 at trying to uh, create this, this workshop from scratch mm-hmm. and go in and train some of the top minds of, of one of the biggest brands on, like the top three brands in the, in the world, you know, and, uh, you know, no pressure, right? Like you write a book <laughs> and then the next thing you, you're, you're like in one of the top, um, organizations in the, in the world trying to share this thinking. So that it itself, very I just have to us. take a minute for that. That <laughs> itself is crazy. And I love how things it was are crazy. It like, was crazy. It's so unexpected what comes out of your mm-hmm. vision to write this book out of this thing that used to be perceived as maybe not great, like all these different traits that all of a sudden one idea flips it all and it opens up this entire world. And all of a sudden someone's yeah. calling you to go in and have this conversation that you were bold enough to say yes to without no, I'm sure you probably said yes before you had it made. We did. Because <laughs> um, that's how so this true. works. That's audacious. You know, <laughs> I was like, audacious. we're in. I have no idea what we're doing, but we'll get back to you. I've totally like you done said. that before. Totally I mean, someone be like, before. you have an opportunity to speak in front of 15,000 people, but we need this. They needed like yeah. a course. And I was like, yeah, I have have one. Totally didn't yep. have one. Educated. Totally didn't have one. So yeah. And uh, totally. That's what so. makes you, that probably what makes you truly a rare breed. I mean, I think that, you know, that's the beautiful thing about these traits is that moment right there. You know, I'm so curious to know what you, what you would be if you, if, I don't know if you've taken the quiz yet, oh, I'm but take you it. should. I'll tell you I later. take it right. At, right <laughs> tell, please tell me. Uh, and then tell, tell everybody on the show. But I, I think that, uh, you know, those are the moments where that virtue is at work in you. 
And a lot of times we just don't recognize it. A lot of times we don't know. And what, what I think this book really does is it sort of brings, it's giving language to the sort of things that didn't have language. You know, as I mentioned earlier, something that I found really interesting is the way we described, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of explain the traits here in a minute, just to get back to your earlier question, but I wanted to make this note, which is, you know, the way we describe people who are different, we often default back to terms like, oh, they're a misfit or, you know, they're flawed or they're a little bit of an oddball or they're kind of a weird, you know, we, we sort of just like go in these, in these negative terms. And I think what rare breed does is it's actually a very honorable word. I mean, it means by definition, unordinary among the kind that you are in fact, by your very existence, like the only one. Mm. And there will never be another you and there will never be another me. And that's the beauty of why we should lean into that and really own that because that is, uh, that is a power in and of itself. It's a wonder in and of itself. And if one of these traits can help you kick down every door that anyone has ever put in front of you, if you can use your emotion to read the room and to operate on a frequency and, and be an empath and use your heart to lead people or use your hypnotic charm for all of the right ways to spellbind your audience for as forces for good, or use your obsession to create beautiful masterpieces of whatever it is, your product, your service, your life. I think that that is what you hope to see with a, a piece of work like this is that you begin to change the conversation about how we identify ourselves and how other people identify us. Because first we have to see it in ourselves before we can see it in someone else. And so what I tell a lot of people is like, after this, after you hear this and you've heard about Rare Breed and hopefully you get the book or you do some more research on it, or perhaps you even identify with one of these traits is to pick up the phone and call somebody that you believe is a rare breed and tell mm-hmm. them that you see them it's the most beautiful thing you can do for somebody is to actually be a witness and say, you know what? You are a bit of an oddball, but I love that about you. And I see you for who you are and don't change a thing. And that's what I I have seen. I've gotten so many, Ashley and I've gotten so many letters from people who've read the book and done crazy life-changing things, you know, radical career changes and all because they finally heard their own voice. And I had no idea we would write a book that would have that kind of impact. But it, I can tell you that it's like one of the most rewarding things we've ever done. Oh my God. I, well, I love it because it truly is, you know, I think self-awareness is completely the, one of the most powerful things ever, especially when, if we've been told something is a negative thing and trying to avoid the very thing that is going to create and, you know, all mm. of like the, the very place that we are meant to be, if we're wondering why we feel like we don't fit or we feel suppressed or we're just not, you know, we're just not in the right position. And I think creating a quiz and a book that just says, Hey, look at all of these super powerful things that you have that you've been hiding. Kind of like what you said, it's, it's been caged. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think recognizing that, just like you said, recognizing that in someone and letting them also see that it's free, it's pure freedom, like to free yourself and and to not feel that suppression anymore is like, it's a whole other chance at, at, at truly life. So I think you're giving people a whole other chance at this life that they were actually put here for. So that's so freaking exciting. And I love, I love me a good quiz. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I know that there's, you know, seven other traits and, and quite a bit, you know, we talked about sort of the vice virtue in each one. And, um, I can touch on that a little bit more, or, you know, we can jump to something else, but I, I think that, you know, the book does a beautiful job of, of just really going into great detail of when it's a vice, when it's a, when it's an asset, when it's a weakness, uh, you know, questions to ask yourself, you know, tools and techniques, or even developing out um, some workbooks for folks who are like in a career, perhaps yeah. where one of these traits is, has been leading them uh, to hit the ceiling again and again, and maybe they haven't quite found the environment to, to help them thrive. And we're creating workbooks on like how to be more rebellious at work, how to be more audacious at work, and then also how to change systemically the conversation at the leadership level and in the organizational level, because it has to happen in both. It has to happen from us as, you know, entrepreneurs or perhaps employees where we're working for a company. We have to be able to uh, communicate those ideas and communicate our differences and not be ashamed of them. But most importantly, we need to have organizations that don't make us chunk a good bit of ourselves at the door. You know, I think it's like 10% of us feel like organizations practice nonconformity. So what that tells me is 
I, I want you, I want your ability to perform for me, but I don't want anything else. I don't want any of your personality. I don't really want any of your drama. I don't want to know about your family, you know, and not all organizations operate this way. I've been in quite a few organizations. There are very few, I'll be honest, where they, uh, the cultures are incredibly intact and there is diversity of thought, not just diversity of skin color, like one brown person, you know, on the executive board. These are, these are really truly diversity of thought companies and they feel safe. They've created safe environments and these people are thriving. I have been in so many more companies that are incredibly toxic, that people are miserable that are working there and that do not feel seen. And so to, to kind of be a voice for the voiceless in that way at times is, is really rewarding because you want to be able to go in and try to change that. And you want to be able to change that mindset to be more rare breed. In other words, like think like a rare breed, communicate like a rare breed, operate like a rare breed, and then hire for those people on your team so that you can not only, you know, work with them better, but they can work together also better because they recognize it, the differences within each other. And they respect those differences versus seeing them as a threat, which is often what happens in a lot of companies. You know, we're always kind of looking over our shoulder and thinking somebody's trying to take your job. when the reality is they're thinking the same thing about you. Okay, one more quick break because the holidays are right around the corner, which means a lot of entertaining in your home and a lot of food. We always want the best in our house when it comes to food, and that's why we choose ButcherBox. ButcherBox sources their meat from partners with the highest standards for quality. No more searching at the grocery store for 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, or wild-caught seafood because their sourcing decisions are made holistically. They keep the farmer, the planet, the animal, and your family in mind, always delivering products you can trust. You can choose from four curated boxes or create your own custom box as well. We have family coming into town for the holidays. And since they'll be staying with us, I'll be curating a custom butcher box around the four different meals that we're cooking during their stay. No stressful and time-consuming grocery store runs. Plus, each box comes with eight to 24 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals. So you can take a lot of the stress around the planning off. So we'll have more than enough high quality meat for the entire trip. And maybe there'll be some left for bananas, my dog as well. So as for shipping, ButcherBox is packed fresh and shipped frozen at your convenience and all shipping to the United States is free. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members a 10 to 16 pound turkey free in their first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash Lori to sign up. That's butcherbox.com slash Lori to receive a free turkey in your first box. And this is all about saving time. You know, that's what this podcast is all about so that you can focus on your purpose and what really matters and not just cooking. All right, everyone. Bye-bye. Let's get back to the episode. Okay, Sunny. So you run a company. Um, yes. I, I have um, employees. I run a company. My husband and I run other companies. How do you um, integrate it all? So I know that you do workshops as well, but let's say in your company, you recognize, maybe you even haven't recognized the traits yet, but you see some different things that maybe are not working but you know that this person has potential um, or maybe communication styles are not working or maybe amongst your team, you're just trying to make it all, you're trying to figure out how it can all be cohesive when you mm-hmm. have all of these different personalities. It, whether whether they fall under these or not, I find that life is literally just about trying to learn more about other people and how everything works and how it can all fit. It's all just relationships and understanding people. So for you, how do you integrate? Like this is such a big concept. How do we actually integrate it into our business businesses in our life? Well, I think that first you have to recognize that we're all sort of desperate to innovate and how you innovate is really kind of key to this question. What, what you're, what you're hiring for, Mm. and most importantly, what are they getting when they come in that door, both virtually and, or in person, you know, the first commandment of modern business is like innovate or disappear. And so while I think a lot of us and as corporate leaders, no innovation is the lifeblood. We don't always know, as you said, how to do it. Um, there's actually a really good book called, I want to say it's called like the inversion factor. Um, and she's also the author of a book called provoke. Are you familiar with that? Mm-mm. 
Well, anyway, she, she, um, I'll, I'll um, DM you the, the, you the link to these books. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, she, she talks a lot about the importance of disruption as kind of a catalyst for innovation and what, uh, what we, what we also get and what she gets. And, and she was talking at great length about this is so many people ask like, what, is there a secret formula? Like, how do I innovate? You know, um, it's, it's shocking that sort of the, the, the way of thinking that should be the core of many companies is still such a mystery. And I think the truth is, is that it's not a mystery. You know, the corporate world has always been full um, in my opinion, like a stew of contradictions, you know, we're, we're as leaders, we're occupied with fit the idea that hiring folks whose personalities and values really click into their culture, like Legos Mm. is like the key to building this tribe of like warrior poets. Who's going to lift you to that billion dollar market cap. Uh, and you know, we, we end up talking like, you know, an Apple's think different ad copy, you know, about all the rebel rebels and troublemakers and, you know, having it sort of tattooed on your forearm. Um, you know, we all ache, right. To be swashbuckling. And I think we all ache to be visionary and to define eras and transform markets and essentially squirrel away enough innovation and IP that we can change the world. But I think, the challenge is, is that you sometimes we're hiring for the wrong things where we're asking the wrong questions, you know, and what you almost have to look for is not like, are they crazy, but are they crazy enough? <laughs> yes. I, I don't know if I, if I would hire well off of, hmm, are they crazy? I hired another crazy one. Perfect. Let's see how they work. I love that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like most companies would be terrified of that, right? <laughs> like true. they would be sort of like, no, like we cannot let the lunatics out of the asylum, but <laughs> you, you, you want, you want people to question business as usual. You want people to help you be better. What you don't want is people who are disruptive for disruptive sake. In other words, they're tearing down the very foundation of happiness, you know, and, and you don't want that. Like you want people chipping away at the wood blocks, you know, humming in their heart because they've kind of found a problem. They found something that they're working on and you're allowing them to get the out of their way. Mm-hmm. You know, see our problem is, is that we, we sort of, the way we identify, and I say, we, I'm just talking collectively. Like, I think this is a, a pain point for so many people, which is we're sort of like, here's our culture, pour yourself into it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And we, we, we ask all these difficult questions for people coming in. And then what do we do? We micromanage them. We tell them who we want them to be. We sort of set them up. We set them up for failure. And so what I think you want to try to do is to not just look for fit, but again, you're looking for that diversity of thought. You're looking for someone who you're, you're not necessarily like turning loose and just letting them run, you know, through the hallowed halls and, and, and sort of vandalizing tradition. But what you're, you're wanting them to be able to do is have the safe space to take risks and not be fired for it. The problem is we fire people for even trying. Mm -hmm. And so if we can try to develop that disruptive mentality, um, and import more of that by bringing those rare breeds into your organization and really allowing them to have the chance to sabotage that mediocrity, but also not let them sort of run rampant. You need other people who are like the stable, the sort of folk, you know, you, you kind of need like that balance. You can't have, I don't think you can have an, an organization full of ruckus makers who are just, you'll, I think sometimes each of these traits, if they're not harnessed in the right way, like you could have an organization that's just a really fucked up pirate ship that essentially is going in circles. So there has to be some sort of checks and balances there. But I think that, you know, what you're looking for is just that fresh framework to really look through. You want to change how you think as well. You want to be open to ideas that seem incredibly outlandish at first. And you want to give room and budget and time and energy to the ideas that seem absolutely crazy. And then you want to be able to, uh, you know, not punish them for trying. And so again, it's, there's no real sort of like checklist of saying, okay, you know, this is, this is exactly what you need to do, but rather sort of philosophies and ethos of, of things to, 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 to implement and also things to look out for. And it's, uh, you know, and it's about dialing it in as you go. Mm. 
So good. This is probably under something like things to look out for, but I have a question for you. And I've asked so many different entrepreneurs and and it's always just, yep, I'm going to go for it. So if you have somebody that you have hired, and this was just something from the past, actually no longer working with us, but it was just such a, it was such a like learning lesson for me. If you have someone who's so good at something that they do and they bring so much value in this particular area that you have not seen in other areas, like a true like disruptor where you're just like, wow, this person is so freaking amazing, but they struggle potentially to get along with others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you kind of harness, like, do you create an environment that they are really not working with people much? Or do you look out for more of the company culture to see how it's impacted overall? Like that's, it's such yeah. an interesting line. It of is balance. an interesting question. Yes. So there's a couple of things that we have learned that help um, navigate this. So, uh, you know, I mentioned the quiz. So Operationally and organizationally, we have had teams who have had someone who has been disruptive. We've been able to take the quiz and sort of get a sense of like, what are, what are the real sort of, what are we working with here? Um, and also when you begin to channel those folks and then when you begin to protect the rest of the organization, right. but, you know, from those more disruptive and antisocial tendencies, you know, there, there are literally entire departments um, in tech companies made up of people who have high functioning Asperger's. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a company that I just learned about that their entire employees are people that have autism and they are high, high performers, mm-hmm. completely focused. And this is a thriving company, mm-hmm. you know, but it, in any other environment, they may not do so well, you know? So I think that it's a lot about what the organization's temperament is, who's at the helm of that, who's the captains of those ships or captain of the ship. Um, what is kind of the, 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 the philosophies and ethos of what you are trying to accomplish? And is this person, um, you know, you're, you're kind of creating an island of misfit toys, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to tap into those, um, important sort of the most potential that they have while also you, you don't want somebody who is so oppositional mm-hmm. and so disruptive that, you know, they're making everyone in the organization miserable. I think that's usually the result of bad leadership. So I actually don't always think it's it's the person's fault. I think it's the way that they're being managed. And that's really hard because people are just bad leaders, you know, and they don't know what to do with somebody like that. And there's a lot of tools and techniques, you know, that we go into also in the book. And then of course, in the workshops where we sort of mitigate some of that, but you know, there's, there's, there's no one size fits all to this type of question. I think it's more sort of based on like who that organization is. How is everybody working together? What is the, you know, sort of communications that are happening between each one? You know, what are, are we, are we turning somebody loose on a specific problem that they, they prefer to be isolated and we can harness the best of their ability by not having them interact in those team settings? You know, is that how they prefer to work? And can we give ourselves the permission to do that? Some companies are just like, no, like, please come to our happy hour. You must be there. It's mandatory that you're there. And this person like is literally having a panic attack because they're not social in any way, shape or form. And because we want to celebrate with our Christmas hats on, we expect that everyone else in our company does. And sometimes I think those are really unfair stipulations that we put on people. And in turn, because of that bad leadership, we in turn create bad employees. Mm, it's it's so interesting because I I would not want to go to the Christmas party. Um, <laughs> that, that really, yeah, you're like, like I'm not putting my hands yeah, in no. the Santa hat. It's really interesting <laughs> though because it it this conversation just opens up so much more possibility. I mean, yes, it is. Of, of course, it's a lot more work, but anything great is typically a lot more work and just understanding so many other things that it opens you up to for opportunities for your company, for yourself, for just expansion of everything. So I'm so grateful for this conversation. And I know that you also do workshops and all of the things. So tell us where we can find you, follow you and get the book. Yes. So if you're interested in kind of the branding work that we do, you can find us at wearemotto.com. And if you're interested in more of sort of the rare breed thinking and the leadership and the work that we're doing around uh, both the quiz and sort of leadership training and alignment culture building, that is at rarebreedleaders.com. And you can take the quiz at rarebreedquiz.com. 
Okay. We will link all of that up because I know this is definitely the podcast for people who want to take quizzes. They Love can't it. get enough. So, <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we'll make sure we, everybody wants to learn about themselves. Um, so we'll make sure that we link that all up. And I'm, and I'm so grateful for you. Like this was, I, I'm so grateful that you took the time to do all this work and all of the research that is not in my personality. And I'm grateful to be able to read it. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yes. So everybody can go find you and follow you as well. So what are, what are the Instagram handles as well? Cause we'll have them tag you. Yeah. So I'm at Sunny Bonnell and then Ashley is at Ashley underscore Hansberger. Yeah. Ashley underscore Hansberger, but her name is spelled a little bit different. So it's A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H underscore and then Hansberger. And I'm sure you'll link to that. You can follow us at We Are Motto. And then for uh, Rare Breed specifically, you can follow us at This Is Rare Breed. Amazing. And you guys, as always, you know that one of the biggest things that you can do for our guests is to give them a tag, upload this to your stories and let Sunny know what your biggest takeaway was. Like if you had a moment, a massive aha moment, or if you're going to go take the quiz or tell her what you are on the quiz, she'd probably <laughs> love that. Please do. She'd probably love, love that, it. you guys. <laughs> so yes, go yes. ahead and share that. And until next time, everyone, earn your happy. Bye-bye. Hey, I know if you're listening to this podcast that you have big dreams and big goals. And one of the things that can really stop you is struggling with your marketing. Trust me, I have been there. Are you using 10 different systems just to build your online business? Then I want you to try Kajabi. Kajabi helps you build your web pages, set up funnels, and sell your courses, content, coaching, or communities. You've been hearing me talk a lot about funnels on this podcast and the importance of your email list. You can get a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. I've talked about Kajabi before, but here's something that's super cool and new. They just rolled out an AI assistant for creating your online course curriculum. And this means you just type in a topic that you wanna create on a course or webinar and bam, it just generates a sample outline for you. It takes a ton of the hard work away. Of course, you're gonna customize it to be your own, but this really helps you get over the struggle of how in the world to start which is where most people stop. If you're like me, starting is always the hardest part and that's what makes Kajabi so popular. They've made it easier for creators to build web pages, build courses, build coaching programs, build membership sites, build checkout pages and build email funnels. So if you're struggling with any of those, you gotta go check it out. Go to kajabi.com. Kajabi was really the first all-in-one system and is trusted by over 100,000 creators. I think that's good enough for me. Also as influencers and marketers who use this. And now their smart AI platform makes it easy to take what you know and turn it into an online course and business. Go start building with a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community. And everyone is talking about the power of community. Without an online community, you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement, which is what I know that we're all after. And you can build trust or monetize your audience. When you get community right, not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody gonna be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a 
paywall too. And you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use and it has a free 14 day trial for you. So you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14 day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Want to know a huge secret to my success? Okay, not only my success, but just about every single person that I have interviewed on this podcast who is successful has this in common. You guys, they love to journal. They capture their life lessons and what they're grateful for. But a lot of people don't keep this up consistently. And most people do know that the research shows that journaling deepens your gratitude and increases self-awareness. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high-performing people. It leads to longer-term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about, or they just forget. That's why I know that you're going to love Growth Day. It's the world's number one system for self-improvement, and it's like all-in-one personal development in an app. And it has an awesome digital journal, and people love it. Growth Day's digital journal has hundreds of research-backed writing prompts for self-reflection, positive mindset, confidence building, and success. I use them all the time, and it makes me think in ways that I typically don't, and it makes me ask myself better questions, which we all know gets better results in our lives life. It even has prompts that help you develop a daily, weekly, or monthly habit of reflecting on your life and identifying areas to grow. So it's a perfect time of year to start journaling, you guys. When you sign up at Growth Day, you also get systems for habit tracking, goal setting, and scoring and improving every area of your life. Best of all, I get to teach there too, you guys. I'm so excited. I hope that I get to see you. I teach live in Growth Day every single month with a new topic just for you. So join me there. Start your free trial at growthdate.com slash Lori.